Father, thank you that um, thank you that you are interested in us. God, thank you that you want us to know you and be known by you. And Lord, thank you that you are interested in us becoming everything that you intended us to be when you created us. Father, that you are interested in our our holiness, our wholeness, um, created in your image. Father, tonight I just ask that um, each of us would be able to hear clearly from you, that you'd speak specifically to each of us and allow us to enter into a, a greater knowledge of you, a greater degree of holiness, and uh, just a, another level of wholeness in you, Lord. We love you. Father, thank you for being with us. Amen. So, um, just a reminder, next week with a uh, break at Northern, we're off, so we won't meet. Um, so, <clears throat> so I want to share a little bit from something I was thinking about last week going into Thursday before it was um, cold. And I was thinking a lot about pure in heart, and Pastor Tuttle had made a comment about innocence and the value of innocence and purity of heart that it really stuck with me. And so that kind of triggered a, a series of thoughts in regard to what does it look like to have a pure heart and to be truly innocent. And over the course of the last three weeks, I've had a lot of experiences personally where the Lord has started to bring up situations from 10 years ago, 15 years ago, really strange. And, um, and, and I'll tell you why it's strange. When I first came back to the Lord again, there was this period of like four or five years where I felt like weekly or at times it was like two times a week where I'd be having to deal with the situation um, from, my, from my past. And, and I, it was really intense for a while, and then I haven't had a whole lot of that for a few years. And all of a sudden, in the last three weeks, uh, I think there's been four different situations that really strangely the Lord has brought up. And I'm like, man, you know, I don't, I don't feel anything about this person, I don't feel anything toward them, there's no resentment, there's no like emotion that comes up, I have, you know, I wish them well, and you know, so you're kind of like, why are you bringing this up, and yet, he's bringing it up, and he's saying, this, this is the situation, I mean, I had a dream this past week that was so ludicrous about a situation, and I knew he was dealing with my heart because it was so specific to what had happened with me and this individual. And I'm telling him stuff about how it made me feel. And I'm like, this is just strange, you know. So I don't even know what to do with that. Like, do I send him a letter? I don't even have his phone number. Uh, but he was, he was my best friend 15 years ago. And um, so I'm like, okay, Lord, what are you doing here? You know, are, are you like taking us into something where you're wanting us to deal with with some issues. What is this about? Is this just me? Is this a bigger thing? Well, in the last hour, I have had three conversations with three people, and each of them has mentioned God bringing up something from what you would call historical past and making them deal with it. And I'm like, this is so weird. Lord, what is this about? Because it's what I put my notes together for tonight. So, I'm not sure where it's going to go tonight, to be honest with you. Um, I, know it's, I know it's from God. I know that he uh, put this thing together because he just confirmed it in some really weird ways. So I want to talk about the pure in heart shall see God, Scripture says. So that's a huge benefit for those of us who can become pure in heart. And I think pure in heart has to do with motives, but it also has to do with a, a cleanliness of your filter, how, how has your heart been purified and made to be like God's heart, who's ultimately pure in heart? God is. 
but he wants us to have the emotions, the heart, the feeling that he does because he created us in his image. God is, for me anyway, and I think it's, it's more than just me, so I'm hoping that I'm right, I feel like he's starting to pull us back into holiness. Um, you know, Hebrews 12 says, pursue holiness without which no one will see God. So, what's holiness? And I think that's a good place to start tonight. <clears throat> so the first thing I want to do is I want to tell you what holiness is not. Holiness is not legalism. <clears throat> this is kind of a misunderstanding. There was holiness movements that started out in godliness. They had desires that were so true and so pure and so right. And over the course of time, it came about the practices that we do rather than who we're drawing near to. And so when you talk about holiness now, a lot of the times you've got to get over this barrier and convince people that holiness isn't really legalism, guys. It's not just following rules, and it's not being really strict, and it's, it's not about all the things you don't do. Holiness is something else. And so the, the first thing I want to say is holiness is not legalism. They're very, very different. Legalism leads to ritual, it leads to routine, and it leads away from relationship. And that's why it's not, it's not holiness. Holiness does not involve self-flagellation, or that means self-abuse. The Desert Fathers, they got into this holiness movement, and they would literally stand on pillars, and they would, they'd whip themselves, they'd beat themselves, they'd fast, standing up on these piers for days on end, exposed to the elements, and it just got weird. You know, and... There's no need, that's not holiness, that's me doing things to try to please God rather than um, separate myself toward God. Um, holiness is not earning anything from God, I think we're pretty cool with that. But living holy, I guess maybe I should explain it a little bit. I went through this where I thought that it, the holier that I live, the closer that would get me toward God. And in a sense, that's true, but holiness isn't about the things that you do to get closer to God. It's about a heart position that wants to be closer to God. So holiness is about the relational nearness to God. And the confusion comes when you think that it's about the fasting, it's about the things that you give up. The, I don't watch movies, I don't watch TV, I don't even have a TV, I hate cable, I don't use the internet. I'm getting closer to God because of all the things I'm not doing. And when it becomes about the things that you're not doing and you think that gets you closer to God, that's where legalism and confusion sets in. Holiness is not centrally about being set apart from anything. Again, there are things that you let go of in pursuit of holiness. But it's not about Setting, being set apart from things. Holiness, and this is where we'll get into what it is, holiness is about being set apart unto someone. Not something, not some certain way of doing things. It's about stepping away from some things so that I can be closer to God. So that I can be nearer to Him. So that my affections, my attentions, my longings are more toward Him than toward all these other things. So holiness often does mean a letting go of certain things, but it's so that I can enjoy a greater pleasure, that being the presence of God. Holiness is about being near to God, relationally near. Holiness involves doing certain things, but again, it's not about the activity that you do, it's about the nearness that comes through obedience. Holiness is about becoming like God. This is where we get into the purity of heart. God is pure of heart. He is holy, holy, holy. Completely pure, completely holy, completely whole. And as we grow in holiness, we're becoming like Him. So holiness becomes less about the things that we're doing and not doing, and more about the ways that we think, the ways that we feel, the way that we act, we're becoming more like God as he created us to be designed in his image. That's what holiness looks like. It's about our renewal as we draw near to him, we become more like him. 
And holiness, like I just said, is about becoming whole as we are intended to be created in his image. See, when God created us, he created us intending that we would be whole, but because of the original sin, we were initially, we're, we're born unwhole. And our new birth allows us the opportunity to start to become whole as God intended us to be. He intended us to be whole in our emotions, whole in our thinking, whole in our physical being and well-being. And holiness draws us near to God so that we can become like him in our wholeness. So that's, that's what holiness is in definition. Okay, so how does it happen? Excuse me. Well, the, the, I, almost, I almost just did the 23rd Psalm tonight because I just, I love it, you know, it just, it's great. But he restores my soul with just boom, boom, boom all week. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. He restores my, what struck me this week when I was reading it, right after he restores my soul, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, and there's so many different seasons in the 23rd Psalm, but I want to look at He Restores My Soul. The first thing I need to say, though, is that <clears throat> when we come into God's family and we receive salvation, we're getting more than a clean slate and a new start. So what do I mean? When we enter the kingdom of God, we are we believe in him and we are quote-unquote saved, as it's always been said. What's happening is far more than just receiving forgiveness for what we did wrong and giving us an opportunity to walk away from our past and start fresh. See, a lot of times, in my mind, okay, I'm going to tell you a little bit, some stories, because I feel like it will help illustrate. When I was in my worst, lowest place in life, um, I, miserable, you know, all this stuff. I could go on with the details, but it's not about that. I would imagine disappearing for like two or three years, just walking away from everything, starting over fresh, and building my life for five or ten years, and then coming back to all the people that I had left, and trying to start fresh then. But essentially, I just wanted to be able to walk away from all the mess that I'd created. And I kind of convinced myself that Jesus would let me do that. That if I came to Jesus in repentance, that I could get forgiven of my sin, and it would just hit the reset button, and I could walk away from all of that mess that I'd created. Because that's how the gospel had always been presented to me. You get forgiven of sins, you have this blackboard, he wipes it clean. Start over, brand new. You don't ever have to worry about that stuff again. Unfortunately, my experience and the experience of many others, as well as, most importantly, the support of Scripture, what you will find is that when you come to Jesus, he does not just let you walk away from the mess. He's not going to let us just walk away and start fresh and not think about it anymore. Let me say this first, though. Your sin, our sin, is plunged into the depth of the sea. It's not, it's not sin anymore. There's no punishment. There's no judgment. There's no pain in regard to the sin itself. It's plunged into the depths of the sea. It's removed as far as the east is from the west from us. In other words, there's no repercussion that can come against me because of what I did wrong. I can't be punished for the mess that I made anymore. But God does not allow us just to walk away from it because he's a God who restores our soul. God will require us to deal with our past issues and our past messes because he wants to help restore us and make us whole. The reality is, because we have a mind that has memories, and out of our mind comes our emotion, 
without dealing with our past and the things that we remember, we cannot ever truly become whole in our emotions because our mind affects our emotions. Our mind is often fed by memories. You can't have whole emotions when you have broken memories. God will require you to walk through your memories, deal with situations out of your past, so that you have the opportunity to get emotions that are whole. So first, before I start telling you some stories, and uh, well, I'm going to look at a case of this in the Bible. You guys remember the story of Zacchaeus? You know, near and dear to my heart. Short, stout little guy. Um, when Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, the tax collector, he has a pretty nasty reputation. Um, he's not well-liked. He's basically been stealing from people, right? We know the story. He's, it's in the New Testament. There's even some red letters in there. Um, so Zacchaeus, he's waiting for Jesus. Jesus shows up. Zacchaeus is the guy that nobody wants to hang out with. And for some reason, Jesus is like, I want to stay with this guy. And he calls him down from Zacchaeus' little perch where he gets up to see Jesus. Nobody wants to hang out with this guy. And Jesus is like, come on down, amigo. We're going to your place. And Zacchaeus is struck that why would Jesus want to ever hang out with me? And when Jesus encounters Zacchaeus this way, Zacchaeus' heart response is this. And this is what I, I believe this is the heart's response to a true encounter with the person of Jesus. It goes beyond just hearing the Bible presented. It goes beyond just hearing the gospel presented. It's when the heart encounters the one that created it. When the, the heart meets the one who designed it for wholeness. And the heart that meets the Holy One that created it, even though it's entrenched in sin, when, when it encounters Jesus, the heart goes exactly like Zacchaeus did. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of ever, anything, I will restore it fourfold. What's amazing to me is Zacchaeus, when he encounters Jesus, the one who breathed him into existence, he doesn't go, oh good, I can just forget about all this. I'll walk away from the tax collector stuff and I'll be one of your disciples and I'll become Zacchaeus the disciple instead of Zacchaeus the tax collector and I'll just hope that everyone forgets about me. Because that was kind of my approach. I just hoped that everyone would forget about what I, what I used to be. But that's not the natural response of the heart when it encounters Jesus. The heart, Zacchaeus' heart cries out, I want to restore the half of my goods I will give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, I will restore it fourfold. The cry of the heart that meets Jesus is not let me walk away, but it's let me restore. And when Jesus meets us in our sin or in our corruption, he doesn't say just walk away from it, he says, walk to me and we'll restore it together. We'll go back and we'll look at it. Zacchaeus, you stole so much from so many. And Zacchaeus is like, I know and I'm going to go make it right. I'm going to go and I'm going to deal with it. And I'm going to address it. And pastor has been praying that you guys would all have pictures tonight of the things that God was going to make you guys deal with after this is over. So, woo. So I already got a list, so. So I have a friend who had, uh, um, when they were really young, kind of silly young, stolen a couple things from a couple different stores just to kind of see what it was like. And about I don't know, 15 years after this happened, they had to go back to the store owners and apologize and say, I would like to, to compensate you for this. And they're like, well, it's not a whole lot of money and I feel like I need to do this anyway. And, you know, that, that caused me to start thinking about 
okay, God, why do you do this? Because their experience when they went back to the store owners, one, you know, it's like, okay, great. The other one, maybe, you did what? You know, maybe someone else responds another way. And I, I started thinking, like, wait a second. And remembering some of my own past experiences, I had a lot of different experiences. I remember for a while, my brother wasn't real happy with me for a few years when I came back to the Lord. And I, I would call him to talk about stuff, you know. I was not a nice older brother. My younger brother, for a few years, he was big and strong, but he was a little bit puffy. And so I would call him chubby, and until he was bigger than me and could probably beat the crap out of me, I would pin him down and, like, spit on him, spit in his face. And I wasn't a real pleasant human. I actually, at one point, a little bit funny story, we are playing soccer outside, and I swiped his foot out from under him, and he falls, hits his forehead, you know, stitches at the hospital. And for years... I just kind of went along with the story that he slipped and then I get saved and the Lord's like bringing back these memories. He's like, you need to go apologize to your brother. You need to go apologize to your parents. And there were a lot of situations where, you know, my, I had done something and then I'd be like, Bing did it. And he would get in trouble for it. And, and he was really dumb. He would say a lot of dumb stuff. And so I did a lot of stuff this way. And every time God would bring something up about my brother, I'd have to call him. And it's really funny because he's been calling me for the last five minutes about God knows what. But I'd have to call him and say, okay, i got to tell you about this. And he didn't want to hear it. He wasn't really like on the let's go deep with God track at that time. And so I'd call him and he'd be like, what the F is this about? You know? And he had no interest in hearing it. I'm an idiot. I can't believe you're doing this again. Do I have to sit here and listen to this? And there wasn't a lot of restoration happening. Let me just say that. Um, other situations with my parents, um, I had different seasons in life where with both my parents, it was, we did not have good relationships. And um, with every situation where God would say, go back and talk to this person, the person responded differently. Um, one of the cooler situations, I had a, a girl that I had dated Nothing real serious, but I was just a regular 16-year-old jerk, you know. And at one point, the Lord's like, you need to just apologize for being a jerk, you know. And, and I ended up getting to lead her to the Lord, and that was really cool. Um, that was probably the most restoration I saw in any of these types of conversations. More of, most of them were definitely on the other side. And so I'm like, Lord, what is this about? And I realized as I'm walking through this stuff that... It's not mostly for their sake. It's mostly for my sake. So God's, he's only got one person at this point who's committed to wholeness, and that's you. You don't necessarily have that with the other party, and yet he's bringing things up that require you to go back and try to make amends Make an apology. Acknowledge you're wrong. And I was thinking about it all along that somehow this was going to make all the world right. And I realized as I was going through it over the course of time that this isn't for them that I'm doing this. This is for me. Why? Because he has to restore my memory if he's ever going to restore my emotion. He's got to take me back into a situation that I made a mess of and let me confess my sin so that he can heal me. And a lot of times, confessing your sin involves more than just confessing it to the Lord. That's why James says, confess your sin one to another. And a lot of times, it means confessing your sin to the one you offended so that you can be healed. That's a great question. Um, seriously, because this is my experience, and I can't point to this necessarily biblically, <laughs> um, but I can tell you my experience in different experiences.
Wasn't ready for that one. It's funny the one <laughs> the one doesn't even involve me. <laughs> um, I've had a couple of experiences myself in this regard. Um, I'll share one that doesn't involve me. Um, I have a friend who was um, grew up in an abusive home. <clears throat> and uh, watched... Jeez. Watched his mom and siblings get beaten. And his, you know, his, his brothers, and, and he would try to get in, in the middle and, like, stop, stop his mom from getting beat up, and then they'd get beat up. And the older they got, the more they got beat up, you know. And uh, so I was talking to him about, you know, how does God, how God restores memories. And he tells me, he's like, um, he had experiences after the fact where God showed him, where God showed this guy himself, God, in the situation. Because he's like, God, how could you have been there? How could you ever restore this? And God showed him how Showed them how even, even in the moment where this abuse is happening, even where they're being beaten, God shows him himself offering protection and restraint. Protection and restraint so the damage wasn't worse. So no one lost a life. <laughs> and not having ever experienced anything like that, I was like, big deal. You know, if you could offer restraint, protection, why don't you get in the way? And, uh, but to him, that was so incredibly merciful of God to do that. And in spite of the suffering that he went through and, and witnessed, he realized that even in the midst of horror, God was with him. And that was enough to redeem the memory. And a lot of the time, where the redemption comes is not... Oh, look at this. Somebody, somebody knew tonight was coming. All right. Uh, often, it's not about the restoration of a situation or circumstance because a lot of them are unrestorable. You know, you have a member that was a party that was, is dead or, or, or they're gone or there's no access to them. I think most of the restoration comes from finding God in that situation with you despite the horror of the circumstance knowing that he suffered with you, endured with you, that he felt what you felt. For me, one of the greatest, um, I guess, uh, tools, not tools, that's not the right word. One of the things that's opened up the greatest avenues for healing for me has been finding that Jesus endured everything that we can endure. Having him able to say to me, I know 
what you're feeling right now. I felt it. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I think a lot of the pain from old things comes from the isolation of feeling alone. You know, you were the, I was the only one there, and, and you start to feel like you were abandoned, and you just experience this on your own. Um, especially when you were the one that was, you know, if, if you were the victim. Um, it's finding out that, that God was with you. And a lot of walking back through old situations is finding him in those situations. I've had God redeem so many memories that I can't even tell you. Things that I've just wondered about. Lord, why did this happen? There's no good reason for this to have happened. And he'll show me how he was involved in this situation. And it, it changes everything for me. So, God is in the process of restoring our souls as we look back at the things that we experienced. The other thing that goes along with when, when we are the victim, oftentimes I've found that God is there with me. And as he's saying, I know what you're feeling, I know what you're going through, I know the sorrow, I know the grief, and I know the pain, you've got you've to let it go. You know, I want to let it go. And um, some people are really good at it, you know. I don't necessarily know that I am. Um, sometimes I feel like, you know, if I've been wronged, um, it take me a while you know, to really let it go. So I think a lot of it is like continuously saying, God, I'm going to choose to forgive this person. I'm going to choose to let go of this because it doesn't happen all at once. Um, man, there's so many layers to what we feel and to truly restore our emotions, he's got to peel back all the layers until we get back to this purity of heart place where I can feel rightly again. <clears throat> so, this isn't primarily about the restoration of a relationship, but about the restoration of your soul. And um, sometimes relationships get restored in the process, and that's, that's awesome, but God's in the business of turning you back into a holy individual and a whole being like he intended you to be. Um, let me go back to holiness for a minute. Because a lot of times where I find that I'm slipping from holiness and wholeness and health, holiness is really the epitome of health in every facet of life. It's the most like God I can be, you know. And, and so when I'm the most like God I can be is when I'm the healthiest that I'll ever be. But a lot of times I'll, di I'll self-diagnose through some of these character traits that I'm about to... Um, to go through. Hard-heartedness. What's that mean? It means I don't feel anything, you know, like nothing really gets me fired up. I'm a pretty, I get pretty excited about stuff, and um, if I find myself with little to no zeal or excitement or passion, I'm starting to recognize that my heart, my holiness level is slipping, and somewhere along the line, I've allowed myself to get hopeless about a situation. Bitterness is not holiness. Cynicism is not holiness. Now, none of us would ever be bitter, and none of us would ever be cynical, and none of us would ever be hard-hearted because we're all Christians, and we don't do that. But for those people who would be, maybe it would look like something like this, um, just kind of an indifference about people or a person. Um, bitterness basically looks like, well, I don't really care all that much about what happens to them because, you know, they did this, and I guess that's what they have coming. Um, there's, when we start really cheering for someone to experience the justice of God rather than his mercy, we may have some bitterness. Now, I'm all about justice, you know, I love justice, but usually what that's indicative is 
of is not my love of justice so much as my heart has started to become bitter and hard toward an individual and I'm just praying down the fires of heaven on them, you know, and it has nothing to do with what they did for me, but I just love justice because I'm a good Christian. And then if you really get into it, you're like, oh, crap, it is about me. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to say crap, but I just said it twice now. Um, but it, it ends up being about my heart position toward an individual. Cynicism, cynicism, since none of us are cynical, it's usually sarcasm about situations. And I had a really nasty experience in 2003 or 2004, right when this all started for me the first time. I was sitting with a lady at work, and I was talking about something, and it was just people in general, you know, and I didn't just didn't have a whole lot of hope for humanity at all or people, and I made some comment, just kind of a crack, yeah, well, that's, you know, what do you expect? And she looks back at me, and she goes, man, that's what I love about you. You're so jaded. And it struck me so hard. I mean, this lady wasn't a Christian, and she meant it as a compliment. And I realized, here I am. I'm supposed to be the light of the world. And she's like, you're so jaded. In other words, there are few people walking around that exude as much darkness and hopelessness and despair as do you. And I'm like, wow, thank you. And I didn't know what to say to her. You know, I probably laughed. But I thought about it afterward, and I was like, I don't want to be known as someone who's cynical and sarcastic and who has this pessimistic worldview. Why do I have a pessimistic worldview? Why am I cynical? Why am I sarcastic? Because I'm utterly hopeless. I have no hope. And I was cynical about people and sarcastic about people because I had no hope for people. Why? Because I've been so disappointed by so many people. And so then the Lord's like, good. You've got to now go back to some of those who have disappointed you. And you've got to talk to them about it. And you've got to forgive them. That's a hoot, boy. Because you've got to do it in a way that's not accusatory. You know? You disappointed me, you let me down, you abandoned me, you blah, 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 blah. Well, that's not the way to go about it. That's just taking a shot at someone you're still mad at. You've got to be able to do it in such a way that says, I was disappointed. I put hope in you. I have since been embittered toward you and hard-hearted toward you, and I need to apologize for that because I haven't loved you correctly in my hard-heartedness and in my bitterness because I let disappointment rule my heart rather than forgiveness. And that's a really hard thing to be able to do. It's a really hard thing to go into one of these conversations where you are forgiving someone who victimized you in the past and to forgive them for being bitter because really you had every right other than the supernatural grace of God which commands us to forgive those who have sinned against us. And that's really, really hard to do. And nobody can tell you otherwise. And if they do, they, they just, they, they're not telling the truth. And then they need to apologize for you and you can forgive them. Because you've got to be able to go back. For healing to happen, you've got to be able to go back and repent for your unforgiveness of someone who wronged you and deserves justice and will get justice but for your heart to be whole, you've got to be able to forgive them and let it go. That's hard to do. I saw this um, firsthand like in my, my family um, where my whole family just really fell apart. Um, my parents divorced. My dad really hurt my mom in a lot of ways and thus kind of disappointed us kids. And in 2002, my mom starts going to this inner healing counseling and they're, they're, they're walking her through how she has to forgive him. Not he has to come ask for forgiveness, but you have to forgive him. Because in our 
pursuit of holiness and pursuit of nearness to God and God's process of making us whole, we're the only ones that are participating. So especially when we're the party that was abused, victimized, hurt, wounded, wronged, disappointed, we don't have any assurances that that person's ever going to come back and apologize. Chances are they won't. And yet we can still become whole. We can still be holy. We can still become like God, even if we're the only ones participating. And so we know that we can be forgiven for the things that we apologize for. And a lot of times we're even able to go to someone and apologize for hurting them, even though that's really hard. And we do it and we experience healing because of it. We confess our sin to them and God heals us and forgives us. But when we were the ones wronged, it's really hard to be the one having to initiate forgiveness, even though no forgiveness has been sought. And yet, God says, this is how you're going to do it. And this is how you have to do it if you're ever going to be whole. And in 2002, I remember my mom going through this process where she was obviously, it was a marriage, so she had responsibility in it. And first, she was being confronted by the people she was in counseling with and then by me. And I'm going, Mom, if you're in a marriage and the thing came apart, it's not one-sided. No matter how good you were in the marriage and how great you were to your spouse, it's not one-sided. You have to acknowledge you're wrong, repent for it, ask forgiveness for it, and even confess it to the party you wronged. That was the wrong answer. Um, But she was able to do it. But then the other side was you have to forgive someone who mistreated you so horribly. And, and, And I remember her crying herself to sleep for like 18 months as she went through this process. And somewhere along the line, my brother and I, my sister, we get dragged into this thing. My parents are divorcing, and yet we're being dragged into this thing where God's like, I want to restore each of your souls. And what I experienced in the process was mind-blowing because everybody in the family ends up really, we were Christians, but for the most part, there wasn't like, Holy Spirit knowledge of God kind of a thing. Everybody in the family ends up coming back to the Lord. Relationships get restored um, in regard to friendship and mutual respect and ability to, to function together. My parents are not remarried, but the whole family comes to God. The family becomes healthy, even though my parents are still apart. And God was so involved in the Romans 8.28, working all things together for the good of those who love him, that I've had people actually ask me, do you think God intended that your parents would get divorced so that he could bring this about? And every time, unquestioningly, I say, no. Nope. Because there's a better way. There's a way that he designs and he plans, and there's a better way. And that better way would have been them staying married and da-da-da-da, and I could go through the list. However... God is so interested in our becoming whole and he's so good at taking horror and turning it into something beautiful, beauty in place of ashes, that it will cause you and other people around you to look at it and say, God was so able to take bad and make it good that it makes me ask if he made the bad happen on purpose to bring about good. But it's not. It's just he can take garbage and turn it into beauty so well that it looks like he intended the whole thing to happen all along. Hard-heartedness, bitterness, and cynicism are fruits of disappointment and indicative of hopelessness. Guys, we're, we're humans, you know? Like, we're in relationship with people every single day. That means that every single day, it's not only possible, but it's probably likely that someone is going to say something to you that they shouldn't have, that you're going to have to forgive someone, that you're, you're going to wrong someone and probably has to ask for forgiveness. We need to get really good at this at going and apologizing and repenting, telling someone, I did this wrong to you. When you do this, and you're going to have to do this, I believe, I think, um, be specific. Be specific. 
don't cheap, don't, don't, because God will make you go back. Don't just, hey, you know, sorry about that one thing that happened at one time, and you're done. Be specific. You know what? When we were hanging out and we were 16 years old, I did this, and I don't, I don't know the effects of it, but God confronted me with it, and I need to come back, and I need to say I'm sorry, and I wronged you. And don't make excuses for it. Don't tell them. And I did it because, you know, if you wouldn't have done this, I probably wouldn't have done it. But I'm just here to, you know, apologize. Own it. Own all of it. Take all the responsibility and plunk it on yourself. Because that's what Jesus did. The pure lamb. He took all the responsibility for all the stuff he never did. And he went to the Father and he's like... Here you go. I'll take it all. And yet we often won't even do that with our own stuff. You know, hey honey, you know, I'm sorry about the way that I talked to you last night. I was kind of a jerk and I really, you know, I shouldn't have raised my voice and I'm sorry about that. But if you wouldn't have just, you know, been talking like that and painted the wall yellow and it gets my blood pressure up and then the kids are screaming and, you know, you didn't apologize. You just made a big excuse, you know, and, and you wrapped it in something that might get you a little bit of favor from your wife. Own it. When you go to someone, be specific, own it all. I am sorry. Because I still have the ability to do right no matter what my circumstance. I never should have done this to you. Because the restoration of your soul results in the restoration of your hope. It results in the restoration of your emotion. It allows you to feel rightly about God, people, and life again. When our emotions are damaged, we're unable to feel rightly about life. We can't trust people appropriately because we're wounded by disappointment. If you've been disappointed, which I'm sure none of us here have, but if you know anybody, you know, maybe a friend of a friend, but if you've ever been disappointed by a person, it's going to affect the way you trust people from now on until you're able to forgive whomever disappointed you and release them a responsibility for that. And it's hard to do. Fear, callousness will rule the day until you're able to say, God, I have to release this. I have to release all of this because I know I'm not relating to anyone in a whole or holy manner because I'm being affected by the things that happened here. So, realistically, we cannot enjoy full or fruitful relationships until we deal with the fruit of past relationships and walk through healing and restoration of our soul with God in those past relationships. They're all affecting the relationships we have today. I can't be a good friend to my friends if I don't deal with the way that past friends disappointed me or hurt me, or I did to them. Because I'll be ruled by fear. I won't want to hurt anyone, so I won't trust anyone. I won't want to be disappointed by anyone, so I won't let myself lean on anyone or depend on anyone, and it, it creates a life of shallow relationships. And if I do it with people, I'm certainly doing it with God. Because if we fail to go through the restoration of our soul, we'll never love and trust God as wholly as we ought either. See, what, what this allows, if we walk through this, what it allows is it allows us to take our bents of the past. You know what a bent is? You ever seen a tree that's on lake shore? It's just kind of like, you know, it kind of leans back a little bit. It's got either no leaves on one side or it's kind of leaning a little bit. Or if you see a tree up on the side of a mountain, a lot of times it's like, and it's bent over and it's bent because its whole life it had this blowing against it, this force pushing on it and it twisted it a certain way. And trees really don't get the opportunity to get straightened out, but we do. When we go and, and we walk with God through this process, it allows the bent that we're experiencing to get righted and fixed and repaired so that we can really have relationships the way they're meant to be. 
I told you a couple of weeks ago, I had a period of life where it was like, I think I was 13 to like 23 or 14 to 24, whatever it was. I did not cry for 10 years because I was like, I'm frustrated, I'm callous, I'm going to be pessimistic and sarcastic, and I'm, I don't, and it was because I was becoming bent. There was so much disappointment, so much pain, and you start to become bent, and then the Lord gets a hold of you, and he's like, I'm not going to leave you that way. And I'm not going to let you walk away from that past and continue walking through life bent. He's committed to our restoration. When we walk with God, he will require that we go back and make an attempt to restore the relationship that we fractured. It was amazing to me in the Bible, you guys know the Isaac and Ishmael dynamic? Ishmael was a result of Abraham not really believing God to fulfill his promise, and so he took it upon himself to fulfill it, right? That's the story of Ishmael and Isaac. You guys remember he's in the Old Testament. Abraham's first son with Hagar. Abraham, you know, he's, the promise isn't happening. And so Sarah's like, just go grab her and get it done. And so he does, and they have Ishmael, and out Ishmael comes. And then God later comes by, and he's like, hey, I've still got this coming. And then he has Isaac, and Isaac is the son of promise. Do you remember what God does when Ishmael gets driven into the wilderness? He goes out and he provides for him and then he blesses him. This was a son that really wasn't supposed to be. This was a son of sin, disobedience, control, rebellion, unbelief. This was a son that wasn't supposed to be and God goes out to him and he, he blesses him and he promises to make him a great nation. This is how God treats relationships that were broken and fractured. He causes us to go back into situations that never should have happened. They never should have gone wrong. And he says, I want you to forgive them. I want you to bless them. I want you to try to make amends. And I want you to try to restore it. And no matter what happens in the relationship, I'll at the very least restore your soul. Because God uses all things for the good of those who love him. And um, I think he's wanting to give us another opportunity to see how he's willing to get involved in our lives and bring about a restoration, a redemption um, of things that are past, of things that are broken, of things that seem unsalvageable. And at the very least, restore us and make us whole. So I'm going um, to pray. And then, um, and actually what I'm going to pray for is that, that God would show you. Um, two or three weeks ago, somebody um, came up to me and, and said, uh, you know, it's really weird, but God, God gave me a picture of exactly what I needed to do and who I needed to talk to. And and I, I need to do that, and I'm just waiting for the right time. And um, so when God shows you what to do next, pray for the right time. Um, I had uh, um, uh, hey, Can you um, kill the recording for a minute, just because...